0: Rather, you dismissed in Jesus' name. The rest of us will turn in our Bibles to Psalms chapter 34, and we will also look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. The lesson I have for you tonight is something that affects every one of us because everybody's got one it's a tongue. Hallelujah! It's about the tongue. The lesson tonight is bridling the tongue. If you got a tongue, amen, just go, <eer tapping thieves> come on now, you're not. come, come on, <gossip laughing> there you go, see, you got a tongue, this lesson's for you, that means everybody, including the preacher, praise God, hallelujah, all right, Psalms chapter 34 verse 13, we'll read that secondarily, and I'd like Brother, uh, Brother Brian back to help me read. Uh, from James chapter 3, praise God. I'll tell you what, let me, let me back up a minute. Let me read mine first, and we'll let the congregation sit down, and we'll let Brother Brian read the second part, okay? Let's do that. Psalms 34, and uh, I'm going to read from verse uh, uh, 11. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life? And loveth many days that he may see good. Keep thy tongue from evil. Keep thy, everybody say, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. All right, I went one more verse, but praise God. All right, so uh, who is it? Who is that man that desireth life, loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Remember that segment. All right? Uh, you may be seated if you would. And we'll let Brother uh, Brian continue with James chapter 3, verse 1 uh, through uh, 12, if you would, please.
1: Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. mm mm-hmm. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Mm -hmm. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of the fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member. And boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs, So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh.
0: Thank you, Brother Brian. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're talking about bridling the tongue. And in verse 2, it says, For many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, speak a word through the tongue, the same is a perfect man and is able also to bridle the whole body. What's a bridle? Well, you know, it's a bridle. It's, it's that bit that they put in a horse's mouth with uh, leather straps that come on both sides. And, uh, and you can turn that horse whichever way you want him to go. And the, the, the person, the, 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 the man who, who tames that horse, being a wild creature, can harness the energy and the strength of that huge beast that's much more stronger than us as human beings. And so, uh, and so it's a beautiful analogy of, of what happens when God comes in and takes control of our tongue. He's putting a bit in our mouth and he helps us to bridle our tongue. Now one thing about riding horses. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? Oh, a lot of you have. Praise God. That's good. Now you know that, that when you're riding a horse. Especially if you're riding a horse that has been uh, taking folks for a ride for a while. Uh, they know the trail. They know the they know the ropes, pardon the pun. But uh, when when you're on a trail ride, you don't have to yank on that bridle to make sure that he goes where you want to go. In fact, after a while, when that horse gets used to the bridle and understands what the controls are all about, all you have to do in many cases is just basically take that strap that holds uh, that that bridle that that is connected to the bit. And all you have to do is touch the opposite side, amen, uh, of the of the horse that you want him to go to. And just kind of go like that. And all he does is just touch his neck and that horse automatically turns. Now it takes him a while to learn that. And it's the same thing with another direction. You want to go another direction. Well, you take the bridle, you have to just kind of you don't have to yank him real hard and do that. If you keep doing that, when he knows what he's doing, he's gonna jump up and he's gonna throw you off. He's gonna have a fit or turn around and bite you on the leg. You don't want that. But the point is that once they get used to that bit and that bridle, it doesn't take a whole lot to be controlled. And in the same way, the Spirit wants to be able to control your life and I. So that He doesn't have to yank on us all the time. We're constantly fighting against the direction that He wants us to go to. If we just finally allow the Spirit to control us. Control more than anything this tongue, this member of the body He talks about. Because we have many members that He says. You know, we have, we've got our hands, our feet. We've got our eyes, our ears, our internal organs, our members, uh, the internal uh, uh, mechanism of our body, and, and all those are organs and members of this body. But so the tongue is a member also, as one of the most dangerous members in the body that we have. This thing gets us more in trouble than anything else, and this is why God also chose tongues as the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because if he can control our tongue, then he can control the whole body. Hallelujah. If he can just bridle our tongue and bridle our speech, then we can use this tongue to speak faith rather than unbelief. We can use our tongue to edification rather than tearing somebody down. And so if we can learn by the Spirit to speak the words that he wants us to speak, amen, that it can be a powerful member, and it could not only help us, but it could help God in his kingdom accomplish his purposes, and he doesn't want to yank on us this way or that way, amen, he, you know, he doesn't want to have to smack us on the rear end that we do with the horses, you know, off you go, you know. no, 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 he just needs the gentle, and then we go in the direction that he wants us to go. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's what this subject is about tonight. It's about the tongue, the bridling of the tongue. King David wrote this psalm in Psalm 34, and uh, and he uh, wrote this and then sang it very first to to his soldiers that were on the run with him uh, when he was on the run from King Saul. I mentioned some of this Monday night to the prayer team, the prayer group that was here. And my, what a great time we had! Great testimonies and great presence of God Monday night. But King David was on the run, he had about four to six hundred men by now, in the cave of Adullam, and uh, and he got this 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 psalm straight from the Lord, and and he's speaking from his heart. David is, and so many times he talks about deliverance from trouble and. And deliverance from fear and, and and afflictions, and how that many other are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. But then he comes to this segment in the middle of the Psalm when he says, Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. But interestingly, uh, just today I was uh, reading and this, this thought came to me that this sounds awfully familiar. And sure enough, I looked up from 1 Peter chapter 3 as Peter is addressing the relationship between a husband and a wife. He asked a similar question that, that David asked his own men, and thereby to you and I. What's the secret to a life that's blessed by God? And that is basically broadening the tongue. So after he gets done, Peter gets done with talking about the husband living with the, the wife that God gave him to dwell with her according to knowledge and giving her honor as another weaker vessel and uh, being uh, uh, heirs together of the grace of life and prayers be not hindered. He says, finally be of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, being friendship, be pitiful, courteous, not rendering or returning evil for evil that means insult for insult or railing for railing but contrary an opposite blessing knowing that you are there to call that you should inherit a blessing and here now verse 10 through 13 he quotes psalms 34 he says for he that will love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue la, 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 la. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile, no deceit, no lie. And let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Amen. So it's, it's put there for a purpose. Amen. To teach us, as, uh, as Peter even said, you know, if, if we tongue-lash one another as husband and wife or in our relationship with other members of the church body, we are hindering our own prayers. Because God watches and listens to everything that you and I say. And how, we say it. Yeah. Praise God. And so he said, you want to live long? You want to have a good life? All right. Here's where it begins. You want to bridle your tongue? Have a healthy respect for the Lord. That's where it begins. Verse 11 of chapter 34, Psalm 34. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the, this deep reverent respect for God. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may sin? Keep thy tongue from evil. How do you keep your heart from evil? It's fearing God. It's respecting him and his wishes. I came upon a quote from Charles Spurgeon in one of my commentaries. And uh, I see him quoted many times. He's a surgeon. from the, a surgeon. He's uh, a, 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 a preacher. From the 1830s fact, he was born 1830 in the United Kingdom and Britain, and uh, died around the late 1890s. Uh, he was very popular. He's uh, still quoted many, many times. He's got a lot of books out. Uh, but here's this one quote I, I caught in his commentary uh, in this segment. And, and Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'll quote, because I think it's worthy for us you, uh, to note this quote he says, "To teach men how to live and how to die." is the aim of all useful religious instruction. The rewards of virtue are the baits with which the young are to be drawn to morality. While we teach piety to God, we should also dwell much upon morality towards man. Hallelujah. All from a man that didn't have the Holy Ghost. Well, neither did any in the Old Testament except Jesus Christ, who was the Holy Ghost in flesh. But other than that, prior to Christ, I mean, none of them had the Holy. And we're reading the Scripture. Praise the Lord. There's some good things that we can learn from this person. Uh, and Charles Spurgeon, For what I know, uh, from hearing about him, reading about him before as well. Uh, he, was, he smoked a pipe. He, he uh, was a very popular preacher in Great Britain. He had great crowds. A great conversion experience, really. He, he saw a lot of good things uh, in, in the Word of God that did literally change him in his relationship with man. And he, he, he suffered great bouts of depression. Of course, <laughs> if you would have been alive in the 1830s, the 70s, in Great Britain, you probably would have been depressed too. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, you think of the age. <laughs> well, you've got to study history a little bit and see what went on during that time and what the living conditions were you know, you really couldn't have a whole lot of land. Everything was owned by the royalty and the nobles and the church, and there was very little left for the people. They were literally living at the, at the mercies and grace and the benevolence of the rich. It wasn't until much later that, that uh, a social conscience in Britain was aroused so that the masses could be helped. And of course, uh, then comes later with the constitutional monarchy, and, and a lot of things have changed. Praise God. But The bottom line is here that that we're talking about the bridling of the tongue. And so Spurgeon was talking about this, how that, that, that we ought to teach the young people, and we ought to remind ourselves and them too, that there's a reward for living right. There's a reward for talking right, behaving right, relating right, and living right. Hallelujah. There's a reward for it. And the reward is greater than anything that this world can offer. And we ought not to forget that. It's not just don't do this because God's displeased. No, do it because if you do it, you'll have a good life. You'll have a blessed life. And God watches it. Hallelujah. And his ears are going to be open to your prayers. But if you don't, then the Bible says that that, that he will turn away from us and not hear. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Amen. So there's a comparison here between the righteous. Who call upon God and they say the right things. And those who don't. Verse 15 and 16 of, of Psalms 34. Praise God. So bridling the tongue begins with a healthy respect. And uh, a, a reverence for God. Now Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 12. That, that really bridling the tongue Yes, you have to have a healthy respect for God, but it has to do also with the heart. You've got to have a clean heart. You've got to deal with your heart. Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 34 through 37. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart The mouth speaketh. You catch that? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the tongue, speaketh. A good man of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And when it speaks about justification, no, it's not talking about you being able to successfully defend yourself in God's heavenly court of law. No such thing. God's going to have all the evidence lined up against you, and you're not going to have any excuses of why you didn't do what you were supposed to do. There's only one way to be justified before God, and that is to confess him as your Lord and Savior and to repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost bridle be in your tongue, in your mouth, to guide your tongue. Hallelujah. Speak the things that you ought to speak and to speak right. God will answer your prayers. You'll walk faithfully with him because now you will not only be able just to live in the Spirit but to walk in the Spirit. And so the only way you can justify yourself after being born again again is to con- continually come before God confessing your faults and your sins. Ta-da. Hence, 1 John chapter 3. It's, we constantly gotta come and confess our sins. You mess up? All right. Come to the blood. Come to repentance. Get a cleansing. Amen. Let the Holy Ghost refill you all together again. Praise the name of the Lord. So, the only way you can be justified is your confession of Him, confession of your sins, and plead the blood. That's the only way that you can just be justified by your words. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Your words are what you say down here with respect to an excuse as to why you didn't do or don't do the will of God. So you will have to give a, an account, and so will I, all of us. Every idle word, the Bible says. Every idle word. Now, if you really think about that, that is really mind-boggling. That is deep. Every word that we have ever said is recorded in heaven. Even the gaga, wu gaga, when you were a baby. He saw you from the time, you, in fact, even before you were born. In your mother's womb, he knew you. Praise God. So the above scripture, as we read from Jesus, tells us that our words reveal what's in our hearts. Your words reveal what's in your heart. The words you speak to your husband or to your wife or to other people around you as a a Holy Ghost-filled Christian, the words you speak reveal your heart. And by the same token, the words we read here, Reveals God's heart. That's why it's so important. This is God's heart that is being revealed to you and I. And so we clean our heart out by repentance and we complete the cleansing process through baptism in Jesus' name and we get a clean conscience that way. And when we get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we get a cleansing and purification and purging of our human spirit by the fire of the Holy Ghost. Water and fire. Praise God. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell, and cloven tongues of fire appeared above every one of them where they were sitting. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. But without this born-again experience, we're reading, James, that our tongue is like a wildfire that's out of control. And when he's talking here, he's writing to Christians, and he's not talking about... Uh, tongues and interpretation. He's not talking about the sign of tongues when you speak under the influence of the Holy Ghost. No. He's talking about carnality. That a tongue that is not under the control of the Holy Spirit is carnal. It is poisonous. It is deadly. It is evil. And it can do tremendous damage. And certainly in the world as it can do in the church of the living God. And he says if you're a Christian, you can't have it both ways. You can't claim to have a pure heart and speak evil things out of your mouth. You can't claim that your, 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 your fountain is sweet and you're spewing bitterness. And he said, it's impossible. And the same thing in, in nature. He says, you can't go to a certain tree you know, that has thorns and thistles and expect the good kind of fruit that you're looking for. It doesn't happen. And so he said, it's a world of iniquity. and defiles the whole body. It's unruly. It's an unruly evil. It's full of poison. And therefore, it must be tamed. It must be bridled like a wild horse. That can become useful in constructive ways rather than destructive. And so Christians must not use their tongue in a way that discredits the confession of their inward born-again experience. So let's talk about swearing and with it cursing, because swearing, a lot of times we think about you know, profanity, but it's not always the case. We're talking about maybe swearing of oaths, and I want to address that first. And then we'll talk about cursing with respect to profanity. But there, when we're talking about swearing, there's three different types of swearing. Uh, for example, uh, the different types of swearing. There, there can be swearing of taking oath of citizenship, for example. An oath in marriage, when you take a vow, that's an oath. Personal oaths, even as King Abimelech swore to Abraham, took an oath that he will not be to any, any harm to him. In Matthew 5, 33-37, we, we, we read that Jesus uh, uh, told us that personal oaths should be used sparingly, not haphazardly and just for any flippant thing. And he wasn't at all condemning oaths, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because Jesus, in, in, in Matthew five thirty, 30 37, uh, it correctly interprets the law concerning taking an oath. He said, you shall not swear falsely or forswear yourself, he it says. it's not forswear thyself. It means you shall not swear falsely. See, the, the scribes twisted the law of Moses with not bearing false witness against thy neighbor, uh, in verse uh, 7 of Exodus chapter 20, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It, it uh, and, and so so the scribes and Pharisees twisted this law and, and they permitted using virtually every name in an oath other than the name of God. And that's why Jesus uh, spoke to them, well, you know, uh, You say, you know, we're just swearing by heaven then, just to make an oath, or earth, or Jerusalem, or even the hairs on your head. You know, the truth is that everything that you're swearing by is God's. And therefore, no matter whatever you swear by, you're swearing by God. And instead of thinking that, well, if I swear by this, then I don't have to pay my oath. I don't have to live up to what I promise. That was the purpose of that. False swearing. That's what Jesus was addressing. Because these twisted minds thought that if, if I don't use the name of God to swear and take an oath, that I don't have to fulfill my obligation. And Jesus said, not so. Jesus said, that's, not, that's wrong kind of thinking. Neither is swearing or oath, take an oath wrong. But you have to be careful how you use it. And making sure that your oath is not done just to cover a lie. Not to cover your deceitfulness. To make people think just because you swear on a stack of Bibles that what you're saying is true. If you have to say that to convince people that you are telling the truth, then you're really missing the point. Because really you're saying that your character lacks what it takes to back up your words. So he says... Jesus said that having to swear or take oaths it betrays the weakness of your word and only demonstrates that there's not enough weight in your own character to confirm your words and so Jesus said how much better it is to let your yes be yes and your no be no it's not it's not really right to teach that that Jesus here is only emphasizing the importance of telling the truth and being honest. And at the same time, he issues a pro- prohibition against taking oaths. You know, there's people out there say, you know, we, 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 the Bible forbids us to take an oath or to swear. And say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Jesus never taught that. He never said that. Uh, in fact, we, we see that oaths are indeed permitted. Under certain conditions, as long as they're not abused, and as long as they're not used to cover, again, a deceit or a lie. God himself participates in oaths. For example, you look at Hebrews chapter chapter 6, verse 13. And in recounting how God spoke to Abraham and made a promise to him by an oath, he said in verse 13, For when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater. He sweared by himself. When he said he sweared by himself, it doesn't mean he swore alone. He swore alone. There's nobody around him. That's what he's talking about. In other words, he swore by himself because there's nobody higher. You always swear by some higher entity, right? I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and so help me God. I'm swearing by higher entity than myself, and there is nobody higher than God. And God said, I'm going to swear by myself. I'm going to swear on me, and I'm telling you that I'm telling you the truth. There's nobody else I can look to. There's no person in the second, you know, there's no other person in the, in the so-called Trinity. I swear by my son. I swear by my Holy Spirit. Uh-uh. God said, I swear by myself. That's alone. That's singular. That's one God. Hallelujah. And Luke chapter 173, as, uh, as the prophecy is just coming forth about, uh, about John the Baptist, and then it comes to the Messiah coming. And th- there's a brief blurb that I want to focus on Luke 173. It says, The oath which he, God, swear to our father Abraham. God swear that. He swore that the, that the Messiah is going to come through his seed. Of course, Paul addresses it also in the book of Galatians. But God swore. He took an oath. That's going to happen. So if God does it, it's okay for us. He gives us the example. Jesus spoke under oath at the trial uh, when he stood before Pilate in the Sanhedrin. Matthew 26, 63, 64. Paul also Used oaths. In fact, we have it recorded in scripture what he wrote. Look at Romans 1, verse 9. He begins by saying, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. God is my witness. And second Corinthians 1:23. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul. I call God for a record upon my soul. That to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. In other words, I didn't want to hurt you. I didn't come and I stayed away for purpose. But he's invoking God. He knows my record. And the motive of why I didn't come. Now, why is he saying this? Well, he's not using it lightly at all. He's not really, uh, he's actually not so much strength his own words, but I think by the Spirit he understood that this is going to be recorded for a long time. And that other churches and other dispensations and other generations are going to read this and they're going to uh, wonder if this is really true what he wrote. And he's saying this is from God and he is, he is the one I'm looking to and call for my witness and understand this is truth. It's dependable. You can trust it. It's not just me, the Apostle Paul, writing for my humanity. This came by inspiration of God, and you can trust this. And so he invokes in these two cases an oath, and he invokes God. For God is my witness, and I will call God for a record upon my soul. Galatians 1.20 says, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Hallelujah. It's three examples of of an oath. But the bottom line is, folks, that truly a, a good man will never really need to take an oath because his life and his character will give him such credibility that the truth of his words and the reality of his promises doesn't need much of a guarantee any more than just his words. See, this is why it's important to follow people that you know that are truthful and are faithful before God. It's it's the ultimate qualification for leadership besides faithfulness. But truthfulness is basically being faithfulness to the Word of God. And if you're faithful to the Word of God, then you're going to bridle your tongue and you're going to say things that are true. And you're not going to do, use your tongue to tear people down, but you're going to use it to build them up. Hallelujah. And so the, the very fact that oaths are still sometimes necessary, and they are in this world, but it only really proves that, that men, fallen people, like you and I are, uh, we're not perfect, and uh, sometimes oaths are needed. And, uh, and the world is full of a lot of imperfect and not good men and women, and this is not a good world. That's the sad fact. Uh, and so, taking oath, uh, an oath is, is, is all right, biblically speaking, as long as we don't do flippantly. It's not for any, you know, again, any uh, uh, trivial reason. Or if you invoke a oath, say, Oh, I swear on a stack of Bibles, or I swear in my mother's grave, or that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's all, that's all about God. And I'm saying that as an example. I'm not swearing upon these things. But people use some of these things or something similar to it. And so I'm saying, when you go on jury duty and they swear you win, it's all right to take an oath. When I enlisted in the U.S. military, we all took an oath. And you raise your right hand and you swear to defend the Constitution of the United States of America, both against foreign enemies and domestic, and that you will obey the commands of the commander-in-chief, and all the officers that are assigned over you. That is an oath that you take. So when you walk in the military and you get that uniform and you finish basic training, you live with that oath. You have to live up to it. But you know, uh, it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. When we dedicate our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of our sins and baptize and get the Holy Ghost, and we enlist in the army of God, the one that Paul said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ hey this 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 Christian walk it's hard it's, it's it's easy if you do it hard it's hard if you try to do it easy right as the old saying goes praise God but but oath making an oath and and, and swearing in for jury duty or if you're a witness and you get sworn in no problem but make sure that uh, that it's for a solemn occasion. Weddings. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now I'm going to turn my attention for a few minutes to, to swearing as in the sin of cursing and profanity. Um, using words of, of, of a sacred nature. Irrelevantly taking the name of God in vain. Or religious things. The sacred things. And using those words uh, negatively and, and perversely. Uh, we, we hear a lot of it uh, today, and in, in obviously, in movies and media. Uh, I know that uh, in, in American culture, uh, when it really became big, uh, for the first time publicly in the movie Gone with the Wind, 1939, the first time that a curse word was used, towards the end of the movie, Brett, what's his name, Brett, Brett Butler, that's right. He says, Cause what's going to happen to me? How's it going to be... Uh, personally, my dear, he says, I don't. Blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But uh, there's this, this increased, increased appearance of behavior in movies and, and not just in movies, not my word, it's on the news, it's on, on social media, It's it's... In school, it's on the streets, it's in adults, it's in young people, it's everywhere. And really, it, it's, it's a sign of social anger and frustration. But more than that, in fact, psychologists uh, tell us that, that swearing and cursing is a, is a symptom of personal insecurity. And more than that, it's also calling attention to oneself. It's really a selfish act. It's a focusing on self, a self that you don't really like very much. People who talk that way don't like themselves either. And they're projecting that on everybody else. And, and, and this language is, is so evident in so much of today's popular music. Rap, for example. And much of, of this, this kind of language is angry in nature. And it displays the attitudes of those who write it, those who sing it, and those who produce it. They aren't just people who write those words just because they're church-going Christians and the Holy Ghost-filled. And this is what comes out of their mouths just to make an honest buck. Really? I hope not. But you see what I'm saying? This, 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 well... As Christians, we can't afford to talk like that, and we can't afford to listen to that. And the problem is that if we enjoy listening to that kind of stuff, there's these things that really are detrimental to our souls. And worse of all, if we engage in speaking or behaving what these kind of words say, then it really should serve as a warning sign to us that we lack self-control. And the remedy is, again, the blood of Jesus Christ. you got to come back to the blood. You've got to get a cleansing of heart, mind, soul. Clean your heart out because it's deep down in here. Let that heart be cleaned out with the blood. And let the Holy Ghost come back in and refresh you. Because many people who are not born again, they swear and curse when they're angry. That's, that's, that's the worldly way. You got mad, you cuss. Right? And not only get mad, the people use it today to intimidate others. It's a means of intimidation. And now we, honestly, we have to grow a thicker skin as Christians as we, we begin to minister to the world at large, because they're going to come at us with some pretty harsh words that we're not used to hearing. And they try to put fear in your heart simply by intimidating you with those curse words. That's why you got to pray up, get ready, hallelujah. Listen, I tell you what, I feel a spiritual window and a door that has opened up in this last week in our community, in this area. I, I'm telling you, I don't know how, what it is yet. I'm still figuring out. All I know is there, something has lifted. And we're, hallelujah, we are on the precipice, precipice of something big. God's going to do something great. And we need to walk into it. We need to prayerfully, courageously, full of faith, under the the leading of the Holy Ghost, walk in this. Hallelujah. It's not us. It's not us. It's God doing it through us and with us. Amen. We got to get a hold of this thing of what God is doing and go with it. Praise God. And it's bigger than us. It's bigger than this church. It's bigger than you and me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we just got to remember that no matter what the reason, swearing, honestly, cussing and swearing never ever endears you to somebody else. You want to impress somebody, you don't want to cuss. I don't care if it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's not the way to do it. You want to impress your friends and endear yourself to them. Maybe some gangs. But if you want some meaningful relationship with people, you want a good job? That's not the place that's not what you do. I mean go to an interview and cuss up a storm. Is it? am I too out of touch? I guess it depends on what kind of job you're going for. Mm. But anyway, uh no matter what the reason, it, it, you never endure yourself. And uh, and if as, as a Christian, if we do it, we ruin whatever testimony we have of what God ever did for us. Praise God! So so we we really need we really need our tongue to be bridled under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Can you say Amen? amen. Praise God! So what do we do? How can we overcome the problem if we've got one? Uh, how can I stop swearing and cursing? Well, we need to find other acceptable ways to express our anger and frustration. That's one. Control our tempers, obviously. And we need to pray. You say, oh, what does... Listen, prayer works. Prayer helps. If you seek the Lord, He'll give you strength. You seek Him, hallelujah. If we walk in the Spirit... Amen. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You got the Holy Ghost, don't discount it. Stir up the gift that's on the inside of you. Pray through in the Holy Ghost. Speak in tongues often, not just in church. Hallelujah. Speak in tongues often. You'll get your faith strengthened. You'll get the Holy Ghost power moving in your, uh, in your heart. And you'll cleanse yourself out. and It'll help you to change your habits. Hallelujah. So you got to control your temper. you got to change your, your habits and uh, your habits of speech. you got to eliminate some vocabulary. Get rid of everything that's vulgar and disrespectful. Change your entertainment habits. Stop listening to vulgar speech. Stop reading vulgar speech. Stop going to parties, drug parties and alcohol parties. Change your friends. Changing friends is so important. Friends are the ones that pull you into this more than anybody else. So your friends and who they are are very important. I think you know what I'm I'm talking about. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm reminding myself, it's not for you, it's for me. Praise God. So change your friends. Stop going to certain places where a lot of cursing takes place. And then stop listening and telling dirty jokes. Stop using euphemisms. You know what a euphemism is? It's the substitution of a word or a phrase for a less objectionable or offensive term. Especially for God. For example, when you uh, look at the uh, Webster's New World Dictionary, uh, for for example, euphemism for God is G, G G-E-E. It's a euphemistic contraction of the name of Jesus. G is a mixed form of Jesus in mild oaths, unquote. And we use it as an exclamation sometimes. I know a lot use that and do that. And all I'm doing is in doing with your knowledge, and you do what your conscience allows if your conscience speaks to you, and if the Holy Ghost bridle in your mouth says, don't let it be eh. But whatever it takes, if it's an ant eh, to stop doing it, listen to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody say, Praise the Lord. Or the word gosh, Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, minced form of God used as a mild oath. Or if we use the words, oh heavens, golly, my Lord, all mild oaths using euphemisms for God's name. Shall we stand? Andrea, if you would come. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Swearing and cursing is the use of coarse language and the improper use of sacred names or concepts in our everyday speech and the way we talk. Again, people swear for various reasons, usually because of frustration, lack of self-control, self-esteem, for selfish reasons, ignorance, immaturity. And many use it as a form of intimidation. We've already established that. The Bible clearly teaches us that what comes out of our mouth is an indication of what's in our hearts. And because we will stand before God, And give an account for every word that we spoke. We must be careful what we allow to come out of our mouths. By first cleansing our hearts from sin. If we can just clean this up. Then we'll clean this up. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Hallelujah. And when we've got to pray with the psalmist. With Psalm 141, verse 3, and I close with this. The psalmist praying, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Lord, guard my lips. When I'm about to say something wrong, God, help me not to say it. When I'm offended, help me not to fight back. Oh, it's hard, I know. Sort of the hardest thing that that you'll ever face, especially in a marriage relationship and especially with the relatives around you who you love. Because a lot of times, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. They say, and it's not really contempt, but we may show that kind of contempt for somebody by not respecting him enough not to lash them with angry words. Yeah, hey. Matthew 18 tells us that, that uh, it's impossible for offenses not to come. <laughs> it's going to happen. It doesn't have to come by swearing and cussing. That's not what I'm talking about. And I don't think really it, it's something that is plaguing you. I hope it's not. But it's a, a friendly reminder that bridling our tongue is very important in God's kingdom. What we say and what we allow to come out of our mouth. It says a lot about our heart, a lot about our faith, and it can turn, it can determine a lot about our relationships with one another. And so it's a very important concept. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise team, come on. Thank you, Jesus. And Brother Brian, I'll give you unto you to close with prayer.